we, we're starting a new series now. Um, we're going to be, um, yeah, this series, the title is called Devoted and the subtitle is called The Spirit-Filled Life. And we're going to be spending the next 10 weeks in the book of Acts, chapter 2, really just uh, looking at how the early church were powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit and what that led to. That's the whole idea, obviously in terms of um, not just as a theoretical exercise, but so that we can say, hey look, this is, this is God's plan for the church. This is what God's got in mind for the church and um, as a, to help us as a people go after that ourselves. That's the plan. That will be the next 10 weeks until March the 11th when we don't just finish the series on that day, but we also celebrate our fifth birthday as a church. So we're going to do something special that day, so please don't, I don't know, don't book too many things up. We'll, we'll, we'll either try and get lunch together before the service or have to do something together afterwards. We'll, we'll try and do something. So if you could just have that date in mind, the 11th of March, it's great to celebrate together what God's done and where he's brought us. So please bear that in mind. Um, during this series, Terry Virgo will be with us on the 19th of February. So the conference runs 17th and 18th. On the 19th, Terry's with us on a Sunday, which is really, uh, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, he's obviously the grandfather of the movement now. That was like a funny ringtone of a jungle or something over there, and it was uh, it was the kids' work. Great, okay, that's fine. We can we can we can deal with that. Um, but to have Terry with us, um, I think that we probably live in a. I guess our age, particularly the younger generation, can be a bit suspicious, nervous of uh, kind of authority and kind of even uh, maybe sometimes dishonour the older generation. But I want to ask you to honour Terry when he comes. That is the biblical mindset is to honour those who have been around the track a lot more times than us. He has got something to give us. He's, we we want to bless him and love him. I want to encourage you, you know, if you see him on that day when he walks in, don't go all silly and disappear. Go and say hello and give him a cuddle and, and offer him a cup of tea or something. You know, let's welcome him with open arms. Um, don't make the mistake of thinking, just, if so, just because someone travels around the world and, you know, preaching at massive conferences and this, that and the other, that when, when they turn up, they don't like a smile and a welcome. You know, he's just a human like the rest of us. So let's... Give him a massive welcome. Don't call him granddad. But ha- have that attitude in your heart towards him. You know, love him and respect him and receive him. And, um, and he will bring something in God for us. He really will. So keep that day um, free. Um, 19th of February. It's going to be a big one for us. So the next couple of months, hopefully, are going to be a blast. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit and all that he does. And um, hopefully learn as a church to receive the Holy Spirit together corporately. Learn how to do that. Um, I think that for the early church, there was no history really, so God just blasted them and they were like, wow, this is incredible. I think for many Christians now, there's perhaps a lot of thinking to undo and stuff to just work through to get us to a place where we're really just comfortable receiving the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit uh, in a way that's not getting us freaked out. You know, we're not thinking, oh, this is kind of strange. But I want to look at that today, just give us a bit of a platform for the rest of the series and hopefully um, get us in a place where we're just hungry for God. So if you've got a Bible with you, please turn to the book uh, of Acts, um, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. That's how it works in the New Testament now. Um, we're going to read from chapter 2, uh, a fair bit of chapter 2. But before we do that, I'll give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background so you know what's going on, where we're up to in the story, um, if you like. Um, what we're Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. But the day of Pentecost existed in the Jewish calendar before this happened. This was a big day for the Jews. Now, here's how it worked. The day of Pentecost 
happen 50 days, Penti, 50 days after the um, celebration of the Passover. Because in the Jewish history, um, when the Jews were rescued from Egypt and delivered through the Red Sea, uh, it was 50 days after that, which is when they celebrated the Passover, was when they got the law from Mount Sinai. It, happened, it was 50 days between the rescue, the deliverance, um, to the giving of the law through Moses on Mount Sinai. 50 days. And so the Jews always celebrated the Passover, and then 50 days later, they celebrated Pentecost, which is the celebrating of, of God giving, giving his law, his commandments to his people. So, what's happened here is this Acts 2 is on the day of Pentecost, which means it's 50 days after the Passover, Jesus was killed on the Passover. We know that Jesus was crucified at the weekend of the Passover. So we are looking at um, 50 days after Christ's death. Also we know that after Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days um, making various appearances to the disciples in his resurrected body. So, Passover, crucifixion, 40 days of visits um, by Jesus and wit- uh, people witnessing his resurrection, and which means we've got a... And then Jesus ascended back into heaven to be with the Father which gives us a, a space of about seven to ten days between Jesus' ascension, Jesus, is, Jesus going back into heaven to be with the Father, and the day of Pentecost. So, the, in that week, or a little bit more, the disciples have been gathering together to pray and just waiting, because Jesus said to them, wait. He commissioned them, go and make disciples, but not yet, wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So we've probably got a space of about a week to, a week to ten days where the disciples have been gathering to pray and wait. I don't think they knew what to expect, but they knew it was going to be big, and they knew it was going to be significant, and they knew that it was big enough for Jesus to tell them to wait. Something incredible was going to happen. Um, but other than that, they were pretty clueless. They didn't really understand even the mission. They didn't really understand what God had wanted to do with them. Nevertheless, they waited. So let's read from um, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we can hear each one of us in his own native language? Then we have a long list of the various countries they're from and then carrying on verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine, i.e. they're drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and let me just stop there. They're drunk. That was the assumption of some. Some said, wow, what is this? They're perplexed. Others mocked. They're drunk. Now, I want to just make a quick uh, observation here. Um, If someone was sitting in a chair, uh, but very lucidly speaking another language, would you assume they were drunk? Just sat there speaking another language. Would you assume they were drunk? No, you would assume they were foreign. Yeah? Yeah? So I want you to understand, there's something more, they're speaking in other languages, but there's something about it that's making some come to the conclusion they're drunk. Let's think about drunk people for just a moment. What are the normal signs, not the stage, not not the being sick 
stage. Before that, what are the things that what are the things that we tend to see? Let's have a little bit of audience participation. There's a la- there's a there's loudness. There is a volume. People become louder because their inhibitions. That's what that's what alcohol does. It's, it, it it dulls your inhibitions. It slows you down a bit. So you become a bit more. It's like they've been on gas and air during the um, during uh, labour. There was one time during during. During one of the labours where um, the midwife was telling her to push and she didn't want to, and she just went, You don't know what it's like, darling. <laughs> and I was like, Oh no, you know. That was, um, that, that was just before I fainted. Uh, it really is true. Uh, yeah. um, but when people are drunk, they become loud. Okay, what else? Slurred speech. That speech can become a little bit slurred. I've always loved you. And all that. Okay? They become... Yeah, that can happen. What else? Clumsy. Bit clumsy. Singing, dancing. Bit of singing and dancing. Giggly. Giggly. Angry. Can become angry. Some people can become angry. It's true. Sad. Some people can become really melancholic. Yeah? Very true. But the, the point is... It's n- speaking in different languages isn't generally, you know, oh look, they must be drunk, they're speaking French. That doesn't happen. <laughs> so they are speaking other languages, but there's something else. Their manner suggests ecstasy, they're ecstatic. It suggests that they're very excited, that they're, man, these guys, where's the, the inhibitions have gone? This is, I want to suggest this part of what the Holy Spirit does. Now people get really nervous around this because, you know, people have been around kind of mass hysteria, and people, you know, Christ, even Christian settings which are sometimes suggestive, oh, you know, get filled with the Spirit, and you might do this, and people can say, oh, you, is that kind of the power of suggestion, and all of that, we're not into any of that stuff. But I want to say this, when the Spirit comes, there is a freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and that is often freedom from the normal inhibitions that are not caused by so much um, just awareness, but are caused by fear, of what other people think and timidity. When the Spirit comes, that stuff tends to go. And that's a really good thing. It's a really, really good thing. So when we sing celebratory songs, but a lot of us don't know how to celebrate, that's not good, guys. I want to say that. It's not good. And it's something God wants to help us with. Okay? That's not to say that, oh, now we all know we're all going to just, you know, jump now, whatever. No. But... If some of us actually really want to go for it, but they don't feel the freedom because, I don't know, there's just a culture of... There's, there's nothing godly or good about that. There's nothing commendable about it. Okay? It's not even, well, what would people think? Well, okay, well, what, what would people think? The Bible says this about what people would think. The Bible says, when you meet together, don't all start speaking in other languages at the same time because people just think you're bonkers and there's no, there's no, it doesn't help them. Don't do that. If someone's got a message in another language to bring, let them bring it and then someone can interpret it so we all know what's going on. That's great, okay? But the Bible never says, oh, don't celebrate too much because what will people think? The Bible never says, oh, don't get too free, don't dance around too much because, well, you know, people could think, think you're crazy. The Bible does not ever give those kinds of precautions. Okay? So I want to just say that if the Spirit comes on you and you feel free, you just feel, oh, what? I don't care anymore. I would say there are times when the Spirit comes to me and I feel inebriated. I feel like, I feel... You know, a bit like that, to the glory of God, and it's fine. It's really, really fine. I want to just say that I think it's important that you un- that we don't in our in our attempt not to kind of be I don't know brainwashed or not to just be kind of led up the garden path by some bizarre thing that we don't quench the spirit. 
You know, we don't, because let's keep biblical, okay? So some people thought they were drunk. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m. That's the third hour of the day. They would start the day from 6 a.m. They called it the first hour. So when he says it's the third hour, he says it's only 9 a.m. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now what he does is he quotes from a prophet from hundreds of years before, Joel, who said, this is what God's going to do. Here we go, verse 17. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they'll prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapour of, vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, please just notice, that's a very important prophecy. Peter says, this, what you see, is that. Okay? This is that. This, what you are seeing, is the fulfilment of Joel's prophecy. Now, what does Joel's prophecy say? It says, there's a day coming, the beginning of the last days, where I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, indiscriminate, old and young, male and female, every one of my people who call on my name will be filled with the spirit. Peter's saying, it begins now. But when does it go on till? Well, it's really clear when Peter starts talking about the sun being turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, it's that, this day of the outpoured spirit carries on until the day of the Lord. So we live in the age now of the deluge of the spirit. Okay? Because some would argue, you know, this is for a season, it, God did it, but then when the apostles died out, all this power stuff stopped happening, now, because now we've got the Bible. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. The biblical uh, teaching is that at Pentecost, God is a watershed moment. God pours out his spirit on all his people so that we all receive the spirit and, are, and can prophesy and can know the freedom and the power of the spirit and that continues on the church until Jesus returns. Very, very important. Okay, let's carry on. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he preaches the gospel now and says, listen, this is all about Christ and, and the gospel. The next few verses, he just, ex- he just explains about the resurrection, so we'll skip that and we're going to start at verse 32. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the, pr- the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the, the, the outpouring of the Spirit was evidence that God has made this Jesus Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, 
everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exalt them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptised, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done from the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Wow. Father, thank you for this passage that we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. And I, I just pray, God, would you just meet with us through it? We say, Lord, we read it and we, every, those of us that have been born again, those of us that you indwell, we cry out for that. We want, we want this, Lord. We want this, uh, just the vitality of your life in our lives. We long for the Spirit. We absolutely long for the Holy Spirit. And we, we say, Lord, we, we just get dry and we curl up and die without the presence of the Spirit. So, God, hear our cry as we look at this passage over these weeks. I pray that we would get wetter and wetter over the weeks. I pray we would get more and more alive to you. I pray for more and more freedom, Lord, from heaven to be on us as a church over these weeks. In Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, we see, a, we see a transformation of a group of people here and there's one reason for it, the Holy Spirit comes. Man, if we can get a big view of the Holy Spirit through this series, we've done well. I think we can get to a point where we feel, well, yeah, the Holy Spirit can change this and change that, but you know, there's so many other things that you can't quite reach. Look at, look at this. You struggle to argue that. Look at Simon Peter. A few weeks before, he, he's, he's denying he even knows Jesus. The pressure's on and he, three times in one night, says, no, I, I don't know this man. And now he stands before thousands and boldly proclaims, this Jesus that you crucified. What's happened to him, Holy Spirit? People haven't changed since those days. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed since those days. My very complicated scientific conclusion is therefore this. If we are baptised in the Holy Spirit in the same way that Peter was, the results will be the same. We will be as transformed. We will be as changed. It may not be that our calling is to preach in front of thousands, but the boldness that we need for what God has called us to, we will have. The freedom that we need to be all that God has called us to be, we will have. This, is, this, this whole chapter, Acts 2, is simple, cause and effect. That's all it is. You, you, you Don't complicate it. The Spirit comes and look at the effect. And we live in the age of the Spirit. Come on. Oh. So, we're going to be praying for the Spirit. Um, it's the secret of the church. It's the secret of the believer's life, really, I would say that. Um, the successful Christian is cheating. He and, or she is not doing it in their own strength. You mustn't get into that thing. I heard people say, oh, it's all right for you. We're, uh, we're wired differently. Oh, you're this or you're that. No, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. All the way. All the zeal I have for, for Christ is explained by I'm indwelt by one who is really zealous for Christ. And I try my best to yield to him and just let him try not to get 
quench, grieve, get in his way. Let it flow, let it flow, let it flow. So that's where we're going to be going. Um, and uh, I want to ask a question, really, and then do a bit of easy application. That's what we're going to do today for this message. The first question is this, what does it represent? The outpouring of the Spirit. I want us to take a step back and just get the bigger picture for a minute. What does this represent? I mean, it's exciting, it's powerful, we all want it. But what does it mean? What's really going on in the purposes of God, in the heart of God, through this? Well, it's all about God's original intention. If you go back to Genesis, you find that God's original intention is to dwell in the midst of his people. That's always in the heart of God, which you might found, find a strange idea. You might find that actually, in your own mind and heart, your default is, is that actually you, you see God as quite aloof. And you actually think that in his heart, that's what he likes. That's how he likes it. He doesn't like to be too close. He likes it being far away. Because it just helps us realise, you know, that he's kind of different. But I want to challenge you with that and say, actually, biblically, it's God's desire to dwell in the midst of his people. That's actually what he wants. You see it in Eden, where in the cool of the day, the Lord comes to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. What a beautiful picture. You see, even in the way he makes um, Adam and Eve, so he, he forms the dust and then he breathes into his nostrils. I mean, that's... You think, well, why did you have to do that? He just got breathed into a bottle and poured it or something. Why? You know, it speaks of something. It's intimate. It's the, it's the kiss of life. And then, he, and then, he, and then when Adam, Adam is deep sleep and he takes part of Adam's side and he fashions the woman. He's very involved. It's like, it's, this is all before sin came in. So in the ideal setting, God loves to be very involved, hands-on, right in the midst of his people. Then sin comes, and then you get, like, over the years, you get different tabernacles and temples and all of these things. And really, what's going on is you're getting two messages. The first message is this. God wants to dwell with his people. So in the Israelite camp, when they travelled in the wilderness, you had the, 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 the tabernacle, the place where God's presence was, was in the middle, and all the tribes would be organised beautifully around it. So right in the middle was God's camp. That is saying, that's God saying, I want to be right in the middle of you guys. But at the same time, there were all these kind of curtains and rituals and regulations and only the priests can go in and only go in then, which is God saying, do you know what? Something's gone really, really wrong and at the moment it can't be how both you and I want it. So you've got to do your washings, you've got to do your sacrifices, you've got to do this, that and the other because of your sin. So it's really important that you understand the twin message to the tabernacles and the temples is God saying, I really want to be with you. But something's wrong. Something's wrong. And the reason I can't be right in your midst comfortably is not because that's how I like it really. It's because something's wrong. It's because of the sin. That's the twin message. You need to understand that that's going on through the narrative. Um, that's going through the narrative there. He's in, it, he's in their midst, but there's a distance always going on. Then you enter Jesus. Who interestingly, at the start of John, John says he, he tabernacled among us. It's a very deep point he's making there. It's like, oh, it's, it's a new tabernacle. The dwelling place of God comes by Jesus coming. Emmanuel, God with us. A very, very deep point. God's dwelling has come in a, in a, in a very final and shockingly close way. The word has become flesh. The God who so many require. If there's a God, why doesn't he show himself? He has. He's come. He's come in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, he, and now, it might be quite surprising how he went about things. He gathered a relatively small band of followers and then with those followers he did two things. He first of all uh, showed what God was like. He, Jesus said, if anyone has seen me, they've seen the Father. He showed forth the image of God perfectly. You want to know what God is like? Read the Gospels. 
Jesus shows us perfectly what God is like. But he also demonstrated what it is to mean to be fully human. This is what humanity that has not been tainted by sin looks like. This is humanity in the image of God. You want to know what, you're, what you were created for? Read the Gospels. It's kind of interesting. It's, it, you've got these twin things going on here. He demonstrated, showed forth the character of God, but also the character of humanity made in the image of God, which is a very, very uh, beautiful thing. And um, so he lived that life, a model life. Then he died a death which the theologians called substitutionary atonement, which basically means this. We spend our whole lives putting ourselves in God's place and exalting ourselves. And so God's response is this. He puts himself in our place on the cross and becomes like the worst sinner you could imagine to take our punishment for us. What a saviour. <laughs> That's his response. I mean, can you imagine? That, that is humility beyond anything you've ever come near to. God is faced with a humanity that kicks against him, rebels against him, exalts itself against him. What does God do? Well, he could just crush it. Instead, no, he takes on the lowest places. I'm going to go in your place and take your judgment for you. So, if if any of you have a problem with the idea of God being judge, don't try and remove that idea. Reconcile the problem in your mind by understanding that only as he judged, he's also judged. Okay, He became the judged one so that we could escape judgment. So you've got to see that. So that's his death. He, he died in our place uh, for us um, so that we could be uh, forgiven and reconciled. He then re- was raised from the dead three days later as evidence that all that he said he was, he really is. Because no one's ever beaten death before, that's for sure. Death is the one you don't beat. Jesus beat death. Death could not hold on to him because he had no sin. So Jesus rose from the dead and the Bible describes it as a declaration. His resurrection was a declaration that he is the Son of God. He must be all that he said he was, because look, he's beaten death. There's no two ways about it. So Jesus rose from the dead as evidence that he is who he said he was. And then I love this, the ascension, when he went back into heaven, was God saying to, to his son, you know what, you, you, you took the lowest place of all, became obedient to death and death on a cross. I'm now going to give you the highest name and raise you to the highest place. And so Jesus being ascended into heaven, given the highest place, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now on the face of it, if you remember the main point, that God loves to dwell among his people. At this point, actually, the ascension is quite strange. You think, well, hold on a minute. God's just come. He's only been here 33 years, you know, and, and now he's gone again. I thought God's plan was to be in the midst of his people. He, he's beaten death and sin on the cross, and now sin's dealt with. We can be close to him, but now he's going. Enter Pentecost. Jesus has come up, gone up. The Spirit's come down. So what is Pentecost is really saying it's worked, it's been done and now God is going to dwell among his people not in a tent, not in a temple in Jerusalem in our hearts. We become the temple. We become the tabernacle. The spirit of God lives in us by his spirit. It's extraordinary. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Jesus was very excited about ascending because he, he was really excited for the Holy Spirit to come. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, um, he said, well, we're told about Jesus on the last day of the feast. It says, John 7, the great day, um, this is when Jesus was before he died. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. 
So there's something in the order of God that I guess is kind of like the Father, Son, and the Spirit are like, let's just have one person of the Trinity on earth at a time. Let's not send two. Okay? So Jesus comes, does his mission, then he ascends, now the Spirit can come down. Okay? So Jesus is excited about the Spirit coming, and he also says this, Jesus says to his disciples, I'll tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the Helper won't come to you. That's the Holy Spirit. If I go, I will send him to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth, um, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he'll speak and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus says, it's better for you that the Spirit comes. Why? Well, there's no more queuing up. You know, the queuing up to get to Jesus. Man, alive, you know. No more pushing through crowds and touching garments. No more cutting holes in roofs. You know, oh, mate, look, the place is packed. What are we going to do? Oh, let's just climb up and... No more of that. Why? Because Jesus says, you haven't got to have that anymore because the Spirit will come and he will dwell in you. Now, you've got to, you've got to get this for a moment because this is extraordinary. The temptation is to say, well, but my experience as a Christian of the Christian life doesn't really seem like that. In fact, if you gave me the choice between having Jesus physically here and having kind of my current experience of being filled with the Spirit, I'll go for that. Anyone? Any takers? Oh, you feel a little bit bad putting your hand up there. How many of you here would say, let's, let's do this? This is the option of, being, of, of, of how it's been for you being filled with the Spirit. This is the option of side by side with the physical Jesus. Who would go for, honestly, at this stage in your experience, who would go for this one? Interesting. Who would go for this one? Let's beat him up. No, no, sorry. <laughs> now, how do we kind of handle that? We can do, what, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, we can say Jesus got it wrong. But we're not really going to go with that, are we? Because we, you know, if Jesus got that wrong, then we're in trouble because what else has he got wrong? So, <laughs> we believe he's the truth, right? So, what, what's the deal? I, I wonder if the deal is, is that is that the key to this is that we don't allow our current experience to shape our theology, but that we dare to allow the teaching of Christ to draw us into greater and greater experience. Which is actually quite... It's, uh, that, that takes a fair bit of energy and commitment, if I'm honest with you, if I'm truthful, because actually um, pressing on to know God more and to know to know him better by the Spirit and pressing on to go on being filled with the Spirit. It's not passive. It doesn't, it doesn't have to happen automatically. It's, it's God's grace. It's free. But it doesn't just, you just kind of sit there and you just get totally filled with the Spirit. You know, there is a sense of, if we look in Acts 1, it's, it says that they were, they, were, they were devoted to prayer. So even before this, Acts 2, or they were devoted to this, they were devoted to prayer. It says that. You can read it, I think it's verse 17. They were devoted to prayer. So actually, even before they had this encounter with the Spirit, they said, you know what, guys? We need to keep meeting and praying because we want more of God. There is something of a dynamic, active thing on our part, you see. And so I want to provoke you with that. Jesus said it's better that I go away because then the Spirit can come. And I think in saying that, Jesus is given a very, very high bar of what he believes a Spirit-filled life to be. And I want to urge you with all of my heart to go after that and not just think of a hundred and one reasons why that's not true. But to join together. Let's join together and pursue God for all that he has for us in the Holy Spirit. I think that's a really, really wise thing for us to do. So, the plan is that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, remains with the church 
enabling and equipping the church to be, to be like Jesus and to live like Jesus until he returns. Physically, finally, universally to create new heavens and a new earth and execute final judgment. So we live in that age now. We live in the age of the, the, the flooding of the Spirit, the pouring in of the Spirit. Okay? So the final thing I want to look at is this. What did Jesus himself say about the Spirit-filled life? We've looked at one or two scriptures. I want to look at a few more just to build out a picture of how does Jesus explain the Spirit-filled life to make sure that I, I'm not just kind of giving us a hype and those are kind of ideas that sound exciting, but well, where's it rooted? What does Jesus say the life in the Spirit is to be like? Well, when speaking to a woman at a well, he said this. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus likes to use the image of water with the Holy Spirit. He did it in the one we read earlier. Anyone, come to me and drink. Those who believe in me, the, um, the, the, the Spirit will become like a well bubbling up in them. This is what Jesus is promising, that there will be something of a, of a sense of not just receiving refreshment and life and, uh, in the Spirit, but that something happens whereby we're, as we receive, that internally... A well is given. It becomes a well inside of us that flows out from us and overflows to others. That's part of the promise. That, okay? Now, I don't, don't hyper-spiritualise that. Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. It's kind of an earthy word, belly, isn't it? It's not like heart. Out of your belly. Out of your, out of your innermost, out of there, there will flow rivers of living water. That's what Jesus said it would be like. So am I saying you should be looking for some kind of experience where out of your belly flows rivers of living water? Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. Why? Because Jesus said that. So don't, don't de-weird it. Don't do that. Yeah? We mustn't. We mustn't become a church which, um, how can I put it, it kind of, um, a stronghold of rational intellectualism destroys the supernatural work of God. That mustn't happen. That would be really bad if that happened. As equally it would be bad if we just became a church of absolute maniacs who never thought about anything and just, oh, if it's going, it's an experience, count me in. We don't want to do that either. But the way to not do that is not to just become totally anti-supernatural. You should, you, Jesus wants rivers of living water to, to flow out from your belly. Now that kind of talk strikes me as something that if it happens, I should know about it. Yeah? I'd say, yeah, that's happening, bro. Yeah, I, yep, that's happening. In what sense? I don't know, no sense, but it's happening. Come on. Out of your belly. Out of your belly. Out of your belly. That's what he's saying. Luke, John 14, 26. The help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Spirit wants to just be reminding you of the words of Christ and giving you spiritual understanding and wisdom to unlock situations and teach you things. That is God's heart for you to be filled with the Spirit. That you will get stuff that you wouldn't otherwise get. That you'd see into situations and understand things. The things that have mystified people, you'd get it by the grace of God and you'd be able to bring things that would unlock it. That's absolutely what God wants to do to you through the Spirit. Absolutely. 
Situations where relationships have been broken down for years give you wisdom to see reconciliation come. Tricky things that you think, well, how does that work in life? God will show you. The Spirit comes and can teach you spiritual truths, give you grasp and understanding. Of, well, what about healing? What about healing? We pray for healing for years and no one's getting healed. What's going on there? Something's got to give. Well, maybe God will give by His Spirit understanding, unlock wisdom, revelation from the Scripture so we can, oh, I get it. Right, yeah, no, Lord, show me this. And it's not that it wasn't there. It was there, but we just didn't see it. But God's His revelation. That's what we should be expecting. But that won't happen without the Holy Spirit. You can wreck your brains. You can stay up all night. There are people that spend their whole life studying the Bible and aren't believers. You need the Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then be an evil and have to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Father wants you to be radically filled with the Holy Spirit and overflowing. He really does. There's no question at all. He absolutely desires and longs for that for you. Luke 24, 49. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Number one, the Father's promised the Spirit and he cannot lie and he sticks to his word. And number two, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you. Power to be able to talk about Jesus without being um, intimidated and getting tongue-tied. You'll be able to speak freely about Christ in a way that really brings revelation and faith to people. That's what the Spirit does. It's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> in fact, I, I, I tried to put together all the different things I could remember about Jesus saying about the Spirit and just put it in a big paragraph and it, it goes like this. We now live in an age where as we come to Jesus and put our trust in him and him alone and drink from him, we will receive his Spirit. This is a promise from a very generous father who loves to lavish the best stuff on his kids. As we drink, the water of the Spirit will become like a well inside of us that will bubble up, starting now and continuing forever. It is eternal life in the here and now. Receiving the Spirit will be so life-changing that it will be better than if we had Jesus physically among us because each of us will have his Spirit actually indwelling us. He will teach and remind us of the truth and will clothe us with the power we need to be able to effectively bear witness for Jesus. This is a biblical description of what it means to receive the Spirit. It is experiential. It is powerful. It is wonderful. It is something you actually experience. And when it happens, you may look drunk. So if you see someone who looks a little bit drunk and then as a result loves Jesus more, don't dismiss that. You could have just looked at a biblical infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's really important. It's really, really important that you get your head straight on this stuff. Where there's abuses, people can so pull away, they pull away from the real. That's not how you deal with abuses, guys. That's not how you deal with the counterfeit. Imagine if I said, I don't use money anymore, guys. I've, I've scrapped it. Just scrapped it. You say, why? I found a fake, I found a fake fire from my wallet. Like that. You say, what are you talking about? You need money. No, 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 no. Nonsense. How many do that? Been around a bit of funny stuff that's apparently been the spirit and as a result just pull back that's not the art that's not mature mature is we learn to discern and we, learn, we stay rooted in the word but we go after all that God has for us in the Holy Spirit so I'm going to just conclude a bit of application I want to say this there is an initial receiving of the spirit but also an ongoing infilling of the spirit which means no one's exempt if as a believer you have not received the Spirit, in terms of you've not been baptised in the Spirit, I want to say this to you, there is an initial baptism of the Spirit for you. If you have been, there is an ongoing infilling of the Holy Spirit for you. 
Ephesians 5.18 says, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's present continuous tense. Your Christian life, a big part of it should be that you are going on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Faith is key. And when I say that, I don't mean whipping yourself up into some thing. Where you're, what I mean is this, simply actually trusting and believing that the Lord really wants to fill you with his Spirit. Okay? Prayer is often the trigger. What I mean by that is, is it just, you know, once you actually realise, oh yeah, God really wants to do this, then to just pray alone or with someone is often the trigger for God to fill you with his Spirit. A desire to be quiet or inexpressive can quench the Spirit. Oh, I say that. A very, very strong desire to be quiet or inexpressive can quench the Spirit because being filled with the Spirit results in overflow of some kind. Whether it's praise or prophecy or singing, all through the Bible you cannot get away from the fact that that's what happens when people are filled with the Spirit. So if you have such a strong desire to avoid anything expressive, you could end up quenching the Spirit. You've got to watch that. You've got to guard against that. It's not, it's, it's actually, it's actually, I will say it gently and kindly, it could well be just pride. You know, you don't want to look a bit funny in front of others or you don't want to look like, I don't know, or people might think I'm drawing attention to myself, all this sort of stuff. You've got, to, you've got to be able to deal with that in your own mind just so that you're not quenching the spirit. Because there will be some sort of overflow. Anything that is full overflows, am I right? Anything. Glass of lemonade. Once it, how do you know when it's really full? See, what we do at dinner time, it's not full, is it? We do it at three quarters or whatever. How do you know when something's full? Well, there we go. To be filled with the Spirit, must, it leads to overflow. Um, unbelief can grieve the Spirit. But I want to say this, all of those things are quite easily remedied, actually. They're not big, complicated things. Every now and then, people have got themselves into such a pickle in their heads, and English can be quite complicated, culturally, on this sort of stuff. So if you're English, you know, it can happen, and you need some help pastorally untangling it a bit. But in the main, it's, it's not that complicated. It's, you, know, you just need to understand, oh, this is what the Bible teaches, this is Christianity, this is how it works. And then just begin to go after God for it. Um, but in a sense, I want to say, the reason why it's easy is because it's been done. It's, uh, Christ has gone up. <laughs> so, the Spirit comes down. You don't find Peter there kind of introspective on Pentecost. Out, well, I see this sort of tongues of fire over me, but you know what? I denied Jesus three times those weeks ago. Surely, not me. No, no, the others, the others. You don't see that going on. Disqualifying himself, reasons why he's making it up, and all of that stuff. Oh, God's there. God's there. You know, but it doesn't, it doesn't, I think there is, there is something important about having an open heart to receive, because, you know, we, the day of Pentecost is probably the most extraordinary outpouring the Spirit's ever happened, but some can look on and say, they're drunk. That's quite frightening. That's actually quite scary. There are, that, you can be so hard to the things of God, and build up so much, so much kind of, I don't know, hardness, that God can be at work, and your take on it is they're drunk, man, they're putting it on. Or they're just, they're crazy. You can be around God moving. See, sometimes I've heard people say, well, look, God, was, God apparently was moving in this meeting, but nothing happened to me, so it can't really have been God. Surely if God was there, everyone would have... Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. So, I just want to just say, that I just want to urge us to, to be simple, childlike, and go after God, and trust that if we ask him to fill us with his spirit, he's not going to give us a snake. How many people say, well, there wasn't the Spirit, but then that happened, but it could have been demons. Well, I mean, does that really work? Does that really, really work? So you, that, that is surely the very thing Jesus said wouldn't happen. 
If you ask your father for some bread, will he, he won't give you a snake, will he? How much more? So if you're asking God for his spirit, and then you have a spiritual encounter, I mean, come on, the odds are pretty good. <gasps> you know, and it's just some really bad stuff going on that just needs looking at. But other than that, it needs to be simple, in it? So I want to just encourage us in these next few weeks, can we just learn to really cheat together, guys? And just say, you know, we can't do this. We, it is way beyond us to live the Christian life, to be all that God's called us to be and do all that God's called us to do. We need the Holy Spirit. I mean, to go on after him. And uh, so, um, what we're going to do the rest of our time together, and I, I want us to learn corporately how to receive the Spirit together, how to be filled with the Spirit together. Some of you, as I'm talking now, you're afraid. Just feel it in my spirit straight away, as I said that. Just felt, for some of you, there's fear. There's nothing to be afraid of, in a sense. If, if, if you're a believer, and you are in stubborn, willful, secret, persistent sin, that you know is really grieving the heart of God and you're refusing to deal with it, then maybe there's something to be scared of. Yeah. If you're just like the average Joe Christian who really loves Jesus but stumbles in many ways, God gives you the Spirit to help you, to kill you. <gasps> he gives you the Spirit to help you so you can overcome, so the fruit of the Spirit can grow in your life, so you can be equipped and give, graced for things that he has for you. There's nothing to fear. There's really nothing to fear. So it's important that you walk out of that and say, yes, Lord, I want, I want you, I want more of you. So my suggestion is, is that over this time together, we've probably got, I don't know, what time is it now? What time? Okay, five. So we've got, you know, the kids' work will finish in half an hour, so we've got some time together. And I want us to, I want us to learn how to minister, serve, help each other to receive the Spirit. And that, so we've got the bread and the wine at the back. Now, hopefully through my message today, you've seen the link between the gospel and the spirit. It's not just, oh, we like the gospel and Jesus on the cross, and then the sort of crazy spirit stuff happens. No, it's all part of God's story of dwelling amongst his people. And because of all that Jesus has done, the spirit can come. Okay? So to gather around the bread and the wine and remember the cross, that is a perfect place to be filled, refilled, filled again with the Holy Spirit, or to even be baptised in the spirit for the first time. It's beautiful and amazing. Singing songs. There's a link in the Bible between singing songs and the prophetic. You find it a lot. So as we're singing songs here, I want to encourage you, the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit and make melody in your heart and sing songs to the Lord. Go for it. Oh, you know, there's been, I think there have been times in the church where I've felt, wow, we're, we're really learning to flow in this. We're, we've got some kind of spontaneous songs flowing, whether that's just singing corporately or someone coming and singing a song and leading us. We've probably lost that a little bit. We've lost our edge on that front a little bit. And I want to just, oh, let's, let, let, let's, re, let's refine that. Let's, let's, let's find that again in God. That's not hard, complicated. The Spirit will stir melodies, walk out of the timidity, and just sing out to the Lord. You know, it's really, it's really fine to do that. So the music will just help us. It's part of God's grace to us in helping us be filled with the Spirit and helping us to prophesy. We are here together, which means we can be prayed for or we can pray for someone. So I want to ask you to do that as well. Pray with your brothers and sisters. Maybe um, it would be great if someone could... Luke, could you find the lanyards for the pastoral team? Is that okay? If you don't know anyone here but you'd love to be prayed for, a few of us from the pastoral team, we'll just have a little lanyard on saying here to pray. Come and find us. We'll pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're here with friends, you know people in the church, then just find someone you know. But if you don't know anyone and you think, oh, I don't know who I, who, who, who's who, who's even a Christian, those of us with these little lanyards on, kind of cerise pink, Kind of lanyards, you can't miss them. Um, we'd love to pray for you, we'd love to serve you in that way. There's, there'll be a few of us, a handful of us with those on. We'll hang around the back and we'll pray for you. 
But I just want to, I really, I just, you know what? God wants us to experience the Spirit. There's no doubt about it, okay? There really isn't. And, uh, and so can we just, uh, what, so what would there be on our part to do? So if God is that willing, what would there be? I think it's things like this. Um, humility. Saying, God, you know what? At the end of the day, I don't care what I look like or what I sound like. I just want more of you. That really does, that's a beautiful thing in the sight of God. God loves that. Because it's when we get less important in our own eyes and we just honour him more and more. So I'd say that's, that's a really important one. So second one is, don't let yourself be a slave to fear. Because the Bible says you've not been given a spirit to make you a slave to fear. If you're, if you're like, well, I'm, I'm a slave to what people would think of me, that you're not walking in what God's given you. The Bible says you've been given a spirit of sonship, whereby you feel so safe as one of God's children, people can think what they like. That's, that's what you've been given. And so walk out of fear. Um, uh, um, humble yourself so you're not all worth about what people think of you. Um, and don't do the other thing of saying, well, I've got, I've got enough, I'm, I'm okay. God says you're not. God says, no, you need to go on being filled. You need to go on. You need to agree with God. Agree with God. Say, you know what, Lord, I need, definitely need more power. definitely need more grace. And, you know, uh, and don't, don't stop until, you know, you're looking like these guys in the book, you know? And, and then you're probably going to leak a bit, so keep on asking, okay? So, do you, do you know what? Just let's, let's, if we can be a hungry church, I think that's the key. There's no, it's not about techniques. It's not praying in a certain way, using certain formulas and words. That stuff that is not important. It really is nonsense. I want to say it's nonsense. If anyone's ever told you, there's nothing in the Bible about that. Hunger for God. Desire for him. A sense of your need for him. He'll respond to that. And faith. Confidence. Thank you. There's no way you're going to give me a snake, Father. 